Thanks for being willing to be with me in this place. And you guys online, I love you. I thank God for you. Central Christian is still one big church, four locations, two languages, hundreds of living rooms, one big church family. And I love you all and I thank God for you. Man, I, I, I do miss the way it was a year ago. But man, this feels so good. Feels so good to be engaging you in the Word of God. Um, and if you're here for the first time, we're delighted to have you. And you've caught us on the front end of a new teaching series called The Best Good News Ever About Our Jesus. First weekend, it was Jesus as our teacher. Then last week, Jesus as our healer. Uh, next weekend, our teaching pastor, Ray, is going to talk to us about Jesus, our champion. And today, I want to talk to you about Jesus, our unity. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we want to hear from you. We get bombarded all week long with all kinds of voices grabbing for our attention. We want them silenced in this moment so that our hearts are filled with your word and your voice alone. Oh, Father, speak now, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you guys have seen uh, the movie uh, Remember the Titans? One of my favorite films uh, of all time. If you haven't seen it, uh, rent it, steal it. Okay, don't steal it. Um, but if you haven't seen it, let me give you the backstory. Um, it was set in 1971. I was five years old. No, I, I was 20 years old, 1971. Uh, 1971, Alexandria, Virginia, um, the federal government mandated a black high school and a white high school to integrate into one high school. And <laughs> there was racial tension, as you can imagine. But the tension went chaotic and off the charts when black athletes and white athletes were forced to play together on the same football team. Now, Denzel Washington, a star of the show, um, he played Coach Herman Boone, the black coach who was hired to lead this newly integrated team. And oh my gosh, what a challenge. The, these players saw themselves more as racial adversaries than as teammates. And the team was about to implode when he decided to take them away from the high school to Gettysburg for a two-week football camp. And one morning, my favorite scene is this, one morning, way before dawn, Coach Boone gets them all out of bed, all the coaches, all the players, gets them outside, leads them on an exhausting cross-country run that ends at the battleground cemetery at Gettysburg. So with the guys, I mean, they're grabbing their shorts, they're huffing, they're puffing, they're exhausted. The backdrop of the scene is a morning mist shrouding the gravestones of the cemetery. And into that moment, Coach Boone, I actually asked Denzel Washington to be here to do this, but he opens his speech to these young men with a question. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field fighting the same fight. We're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, it was painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys 
smoke and hot lead pouring through their bodies. Listen to their souls, men. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen and take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. That last line was the turning point in Herman Boone's story as coach. And in that team's uh, challenge met as they came together as one team, black and white. Let's say this aloud together. Those of you watching online, those of you in the room, beginning with the words, if we don't come together, read with me. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. Now that statement is true. And it's not just about a football team. It can be about a nation. It can certainly be about a church. I mean, the number of churches dying right now, going out of existence, um, is unprecedented. And most of them are dying because of conflict. They have conflicts over differences of opinion. They have conflicts over race. They have conflicts over politics, even gender bias. If we don't come together on this hallowed ground right now, Let me show you a picture in the day of Jesus, from the day of Jesus, what was in his day considered the most hallowed ground. This is a picture of the temple in Jerusalem. And I mean, it was magnificent beyond words when people would see it for the first time. Maybe remember Jesus came to the temple at the age of 12. He was probably moved to tears. His parents, even though they had been there time and again, they were moved to tears. This was their place. This was the hallowed ground of God's very presence. (laughs) It's one of the reasons why the religious leaders decided to kill Jesus on the day he made this open declaration, hey, I'm greater than the temple. Here's what Jesus said. Go back. Okay, I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. They knew, the religious leaders knew Jesus was declaring himself as God. Hey, the temple is a place of worship, but I'm the God you worship. Not just there, but everywhere I am. So what is it that made Jesus greater beyond measure, greater than the temple? I want to walk you through a diagram of the temple. See if we can discover why and how Jesus is greater than the temple. Here's the diagram. Now, people like you and I, we are non-Jewish Gentiles. And so if we wanted to worship God, if we wanted to pray to God, if we wanted to sing praises to God, we could come to this temple complex, but we would have to stay right out here, outside the wall of the temple complex. This is the court of the Gentiles. This is as close. We're outside, and this is as close as we're ever going to get. We are never going to be allowed in past this wall. Several years ago, uh, a bunch of us from church went to Turkey to visit the churches of the Revelation. In Istanbul, there's an archaeological museum uh, that has what's called the Death Stone, big old stone. It was taken from this exterior wall of the temple, and basically it says, no trespassing. If you are not Jewish and you go beyond this point, you will be executed. You're out. You're a different race. You're out. 
you don't belong. So Jewish men and women, they could enter the temple, but if you're a woman, you only go as far as the court of women, no further. Because of your sex, you're out. You can come in, you can raise your hands, you can praise God, you can pray, you can worship God, but this is as close as you're getting and no closer or you will be executed. So you figure, well, I guess just Jewish men got to go in the temple. No, Jewish men got to go into the next court. This big thing, that's the temple. They got to go here. It's called the court of Israel. That's as far as they got to go. This is as close as you're getting to the presence of God and no closer. You see, the temple was all about separation, separated by race, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, you're out. Sure, come and worship, but just stay out. Women, you can come this far, but no farther, or you'll be executed. The only people that got inside the temple were priests, and they would enter what was called the holy place. Let me show you an image, candelabra, a table with bread on it, and this is the altar of incense. Every day, at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., two hours each day, the hour of prayer, the priest would go in and he would light the incense, creating this smoke. Now, the idea is, if you're non-Jewish, if you're a Gentile, you can come and pray, just stay out. If you're a woman, you can pray, just don't come any closer than you're allowed. Men, you can't come any closer. Pray, and your prayers will go up with the incense. Just stay at a distance. You see, the temple is about two things. One, separation. That's one, separation. Separated by race, separated by gender. But this backdrop here is a curtain. It's the curtain of separation. On the other side, on the other side, only one guy, the high priest, got to go on the other side of the curtain once a year. Only one guy, only once a year. And on the other side of the curtain is only one piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. For more information, see Indiana Jones. Um, but the, the temple was not just about separation. Though, this curtain, you know what it said? This curtain said, you don't belong. You're not good enough. This curtain said, you're filthy. God is holy. Stay out. You can't come close to God. This curtain said, you will never be in his presence. So, I mean, sometimes I've heard people say, well, you know, that feels like me. I've done some bad things. I've got some filth in my life. I can never come into God's presence. I mean, how did the people in the day of Jesus actually get into a right relationship with God. Well, here's what would happen. A dad like me, uh, once a year, uh, would come to the temple with the very best lamb he owned. Maybe like the dad of Jesus had to you know, walk 80 miles to get there, either leading that lamb or carrying that lamb. And when you get there, you stand in line with your lamb and you, you wait in line with your lamb. And when you get to the front of the line, you take the face of the lamb in your hands and you begin to speak all the sins of your family onto the head of the lamb. You're transferring your sins and the sins of your family onto an innocent third party. Having done that, 
Having just exhausted yourself speaking your sins, the lamb then is passed over to a priest. Priest takes the knife of sacrifice and with all the violence he can muster, bam, slashes the lamb's throat, takes the blood of the lamb, sprinkles it on the altar, and now... The innocence of the lamb has been transferred to you and your family. The lamb got your sin and died in your place for your sin. You get the lamb's innocence and all your sins are forgiven for the past year. That's how the people in the day of Jesus, that's what they did for a thousand years to get right with God. So this temple Back to our question, how and why is Jesus greater than the temple? Check this out. Number one, Jesus himself personally forgives sins. In fact, this is why they wanted to kill Jesus. He would go around in his ministry, person to person. He'd look people right in the eye, right into their hearts and say, your sins are forgiven. Oh my gosh, I hope you know how that feels. Because when you surrendered your life to Jesus... He just breathed that over your soul. Your sins are forgiven. So Jesus was telling people the reason they wanted to kill him was this. You don't have to go to the temple to be forgiven. You have to come to me. You don't go to a priest. You don't go to a pastor. You come and tell me your sins. I'll love you. I'll accept you. I'll show you mercy and grace just as God has loved me and shown me mercy and grace. But you go to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Number two, Jesus himself is available 24-7 to hear our prayers, not just at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. I was hoping that as soon as I said those times being hours of prayer, you would immediately think Jesus is greater than the temple because Jesus is always available for prayer. His ear is not too dull to hear. His arm is not too short to save. And when I cry out to God, he responds every time. Number three, Jesus is greater than the temple. Because Jesus himself is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember that knife of sacrifice as it slashed the goat's throat, uh, the lamb's throat? That's exactly what happened to Jesus when he died on the cross as your substitute in your place, bearing the punishment of your sin. And when he did, when he died, something phenomenal, unbelievable, unprecedented happened in the temple. Check this out. Jesus passionately cried out. He's dying. This is his last breath. With his last breath, Jesus passionately cried out to God, took his last breath, gave up his life, his spirit, at that moment, at the very moment. You know what time this was? This was three o'clock in the afternoon. At that time, there's priests in the temple. There's a priest in the holy place. And you know what they see? Do you know what they hear? That curtain that was as thick as the length of my hand, they hear it being ripped from top to bottom. At that moment, three o'clock in the afternoon, when Jesus died, the temple curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom. God was sending a message for all eternity. My son has given his life. He's been torn in two. Now the separation between God and his people has been torn in two. Jesus himself is our access into the very presence of God. This is why we pray 
in Jesus' name, because it's through Jesus that we enter God's presence. That's why we love to sing songs praising Jesus, because as we praise Jesus, we enter the presence of God. That's why all these messages that we're in right now, the best good news ever, focus on Jesus, because Jesus is our access into the presence of God. The curtain of separation was torn. That curtain said, you don't belong. The cross of Christ says, hey, everyone who wants to come is welcome. The curtain said, you're filthy. The cross of Christ says, I will cleanse you of all guilt and shame. The curtain says, stay away. The cross of Christ says, draw near with confidence. Look at the word of God. We have confidence now on the basis of the cross of Christ to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. On the cross, the body of Jesus was torn in half. That's how a promise, unbreakable, unshakable, was made between God and another person. A body is cut in half. Scripture says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. There's no sin you've done, no amount of sin you've done that can ever shake God's unfailing love. He holds you in his unfailing love and nobody and nothing's ever gonna snatch you out of his hands. I'm not done yet. It is awesome. It is stinking awesome. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor will my covenant of peace, my promise of peace with you be removed. So what Jesus did on the cross, his body torn in half, that curtain torn in half, that made the promise of God unshakable that you will live at peace with God. Jesus took upon himself all your sin. He was literally made to be your sin as the sin of the innocent lamb, excuse me, as the innocence of the lamb was applied to the father and all his family and the sin of the father was applied to the lamb, Jesus is a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All my evil, ugly imperfections are put on him and all his glory is beautiful. Perfection is put on me. Everything wrong with you is put on Jesus and everything right with Jesus is put on you. Everything bad about us is put on Jesus and everything good about Jesus is put on us. That's the transaction that occurred when Jesus was torn in two on the cross. And so guess what? Look at this. We can come boldly now to the throne of our gracious God and we will, we will receive his mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is God protecting us from the bad stuff we deserve for the sin that we've done. God gives us mercy, and his mercy is immeasurable. He never runs out of mercy. He loves to show mercy, but there's more. We will receive mercy, and we will find grace. You know what grace is? If mercy is protecting us from bad stuff we deserve, for bad stuff we've done, grace is receiving good gifts from God that we don't deserve. You will, we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. That's the Lamb of God. Everything bad about us transferred to him. Everything good about him transferred to us. And by his torn body, we can now enter the very presence of God, the very presence of his joy, the very presence of his peace, the very presence of his hope, the very presence of his love. 
So Jesus took care of his responsibility from before the foundation of the world. Jesus had made a commitment to come and die in our place as our substitute for our sins, and God raised him from the dead. That was his responsibility, and he took care of his mission. Our mission, our responsibility is this, work at getting along with each other and with God. If you don't, Otherwise, you will not get so much as a glimpse of God. This word glimpse could easily be translated experience. If you're not investing your words, if you're not investing your behavior, if you're not investing your attitudes in the unity of the church, you're not even going to experience God at all. Maybe I could say it in a more positive way. The more you invest your energy, the more you invest your words, the more you invest your attitudes in building the unity of the body of Christ, the more you experience of God. Here's the truth of God's word. Surely you know that you are God's temple. Now, there is a scripture that says our bodies are the temple of God, but that's not this scripture. Surely you know that you, this is a plural pronoun. This is me and you. This is us. Surely you know that you together are God's temple. The church united, you and I, the church united, is that's what God's temple is now. Wherever there's dozens of believers, you know, wherever there's thousands of believers like our church, where they are united together, that's God's temple now. Can I have that back? I got worked up, I'm sorry. Surely you know that you are God's temple. And look at look how the sharp warning the Apostle Paul gives to the church in Corinth that was imploding as each person hurt the unity of the church. God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. Why is this such a harsh warning? Because the church, united, is the bride of Christ. And God is devoted to the unity of the bride for his son Jesus. Same is true for me and my Debbie. My three sons have married three, three gifts of God to them and to our lives. Marissa, Miriam, Melody, we love them as if they are our own daughters. Don't mess with our girls. Because we feel like when you mess with our girls, our daughters, you're messing with us. It hurts us if you hurt our girls. That's the way it is with God. His bride, the church united, is the bride of Christ. And he is totally devoted to the unity of the bride. And this is how we make it happen. You want to see a picture of the most hallowed ground on the planet, the most hallowed ground of all time? Let me show you. It's the foot of the cross. Out of Jesus' love for you, he emptied himself of heaven, took on human nature as a servant, was obedient to God to the point of dying on the cross. This was all he was compelled by his love for you, for me, for those who would be his church united in his death. 
So what is our appropriate response to Jesus taking all our bad stuff, all our wrong stuff, all our ugly, evil imperfections? What's our response? If Jesus died for our sins, this is where we die to our opinions. This is where we crucify our politics. This is where we crucify racial prejudice and gender bias. Everything falls at the foot of the cross. And what rises up is a united bride of Christ, ready and beautiful, uh, waiting for the coming of her Lord. Look at the word of God, our reconciling peace. I mean, I love being a church that has black believers and Latino believers and white believers. And that we make every effort to be united together, to be at peace together, because we then show the world what the love of God looks like as we, as we tear down the barriers of separation, as we remove the barrier of racial prejudice and gender bias, and even religion. Through our relationship with Jesus, we are united in one. Our reconciling peace among ourselves is Jesus. By dying as our sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. We're the bride. We are united with him. I'm the bride of Christ. You're the bride of Christ. We're all together the bride of Christ. And where the church is united, it becomes the temple of God. I've been here for a long time. I'm like a bad dream that won't go away. And as long as I have breath and I'm serving as your pastor, I am absolutely full out devoted to the unity of this church. I will not say anything, and I will not listen to anything that in any, I'll walk away from anyone talking about anything that might disrupt the unity of this church. One of the reasons this church has flourished is because we have a high level of commitment to Jesus and a low level of conflict because we are united in him. And I have no hesitancy to call you to the same thing because we all want the same thing. We all want to be the temple of God, united together in Christ. We all want to have full access to our Jesus who hears and responds to our prayers 24-7. We all want the forgiveness of sin and to share that forgiveness with others who hurt us. And so I'd like to pray a prayer of unity over you. I'd like for you to join me Um, Would you stand and receive this prayer of unity right now if you're in your home or in this room? Would you please agree with me as I pray for the unity of our church and the Capital C Church? Would you bow with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we bow our heads because we are humbling ourselves before you. And the first words out of my mouth are these for all of us. Oh, God, have mercy on us as sinners. And, oh, God, exalt Jesus to the highest place, rightly worthy of all our worship and our adoration. And, Lord Jesus, we say thank you that when you died on the cross, your body was torn in half, a torn curtain through which we can have intimate relationship with God. So, Lord Jesus, I'm asking that you take your nail-pierced hands and apply them to the heart and mind of your church and that we will, at the foot of the cross, crucify our politics, crucify our opinions until all we have left is love for each other and love for the Lord. 
Lord, would you take us up in your arms, just like you did people in Scripture. Would you take us up in your arms, all of us together, everyone that's at Central, watching on a computer, watching on their TV, sitting in this room, take us all up together, black believers and Latino believers and white believers, take us all up together in your arms, Heavenly Father, and make us one in Jesus. The, t- the curtain has been torn. And we're coming boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. We love you, Lord. We love, we won't say anything. We won't do anything. We won't listen to anything. We'll walk away from anything and anyone who tries to disrupt the unity of your church, Lord, the body and bride of Christ. In that name, above all names, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired Podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.